0: What's up, everybody? As always, I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark, and we are Bible Dingers. Uh, We have an exciting show today. We have a special guest that's just very excited to talk to you about some really cool stuff. Mark, why don't you tell us about our guest? Well, um, his name is Cameron Bertuzzi, and he has his own YouTube channel and a website, I think, called Capturing Christianity. And uh, Cameron is a professional photographer doing Christian apologetics, Hmm. exposing the intellectual side of Christian belief. So basically what Cameron does is interview people, um, interview high profile people. Like recently he had Gary Habermas on the historicity of the cross and also William Lane Craig, who's a huge, uh, (laughs) well-known apologist and we were lucky enough to get an interview with Cameron, and he talked with us about theodicy, which, do you guys remember what that means? No. Nick? Nope. I think you guys are playing stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make the
1: Pratoots guy sound smart, you know? That's true. We got to set him up, because we're so smart that we don't want to make any guess. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. Not as smart as us. Yeah. Yep. But uh, yeah, we decided to get Cam Bertuzzi on, not only because we love his show, we we listen to it all the time, um, especially the debates and stuff like that that he hosts, I love. Um, not only that, but we think that he has a really good take on the problem of evil, which is what we're talking about today, which is the Odyssey, which is the Odyssey, beautiful. Um I always thought that was an old book by Homer, but I, I might be wrong. That was The Odyssey. Oh, that was The Odyssey. Oh. Anyways, so the reason why we're talking about this, <clears throat> obviously, is because we just went through the book of Job, and Job goes through all this suffering, and it doesn't seem to make sense. So what we're doing today is trying to answer the, the big question with our friend Cameron Bertuzzi. If a good and all-good God... And all powerful God exists Then why does evil and suffering exist Um, So I hope you guys enjoy This interview as much as we enjoyed giving this interview Oh
2: my God Buster that's
0: on tribe When I thought the book of Job was a job The devil had my soul I can't lie Life gonna have some lows and some highs Before the Grammys ever gave a now I wore my heart on my sleeve I couldn't hide
1: All right. So we're just going to jump right into it. Um, we just finished reading through the book of Job, which really talks in depth about some horrible things that happened to Job. And it seemed kind of like Satan was the mastermind and God allowed all of it to happen. So, uh, we wanted to take this episode to talk about, uh, the big, the big question of if God is all loving and if he is all powerful then why does he allow evil and suffering in the world?
2: Yeah, so this is a really big question that I've put a lot of thought into because I realize that this is actually one of the arguments that atheists use a lot in arguments against Christians. But in this particular formulation, the way that you framed it, you said, if God is all-loving and all-powerful, why does he allow evil? Something that I like to point out a lot with my ministry is that questions aren't actually arguments. And sometimes they can feel like arguments, like sometimes when you hear something like this, like how could God allow this particular case of suffering? It might be tempting to think that, yeah, like they've just kind of given me some reason to doubt God's existence, or I can't really see a reason for why God would allow this. And so therefore I should probably conclude that God doesn't exist or that God doesn't have a reason. And so I think that it's important that we distinguish or make a distinction here between questions and arguments. And this is also going to be important when we're thinking about like, there's, there's two kinds of versions overall, like a broad category type thing. If we want to get, if we want to back out and kind of look at this thing from a meta level, there's two different kinds of problems. I think that people deal with when it comes to the problem of evil. One of them is the practical side of things like, just dealing with an instance of evil in your own life because some kind of suffering, I mean, you can, it's not difficult to think of something I'm sure that you've Mm -hmm. dealt with recently. Yeah. So there's a practical side of the problem of evil, but then there's also the theoretical side of the problem of evil, which is to say that how does this actually interact with arguments for and against God's existence? Does this give us some kind of reason to doubt that such a being like God exists. So on the one hand, we're actually asking, like, how do we deal with suffering? How do I actually go forward with my life? And how, how does this work in, with my relationship with God? D- does it change the way that I view God at all? Mm. And then the other one, the theoretical question, which is, I think, what we'll be talking more or less about today, the theoretical question, uh, we just got to get a little bit more clear on on what the actual problem here is supposed to be or what the argument looks like.
1: So I guess if we're going to go down the theoretical route, would you say that there's kind of an incompatibility there? Because if God is all loving and he is all powerful, wouldn't an all loving, all
2: powerful God just eradicate evil? Yeah. So it depends on what you mean, I guess, because if you mean that God would have never created evil in the first place, like that's a possibility and what, we'd ha- what he'd have to do there. I mean, it's it's technically possible. In that case, he just wouldn't have created anything. He wouldn't have created a world or a universe like ours that has moral agents or beings that arrived here in some way, either by evolution or just by specially creating us. He could have just created no world at all. And so in that way, he could have sort of eliminated evil. But if you mean that, like, why wouldn't he just sort of snuff us out of existence right now? Like, I think that's a, a separate question that we'd have to To look at, so you think it's essential to have evil for us to exist? I wouldn't say that it's essential. Uh, It depends on who we're talking about. I guess that's actually a good question. If we're talking about us, like our particular who we are and what we can do, for instance, if we have free will, if we can make choices of that have moral significance, then yeah, I do think that in some sense evil is sort of necessitated by our particular existence. And that kind of depends on the being, the type of being that we are. I think that that's that's sort of entailed by the, like I said, the kind of being that we are. So, yeah, in in that sense, I would say that. Um, But I would say, okay, so going back to your question of like, could God sort of eradicate evil? I think that theists will want to say that God has a reason for creating the world, even if we don't really know what that reason is. And I think that this is actually something interesting to think about. And tell me what you guys think about this. Most people that I know and most people that I meet are what I'll call existential optimists. And by this, I just mean that on the overall picture of of their world, their overall picture of the world, they think that on the whole, the world is a good place to be in. Despite all the evil and suffering, you know, you still have – even atheists will say that, like, we should have gratitude for being able to be in this universe and we can observe stars and galaxies and all the cool stuff that happens. Like I think most people are existential optimists in that sense. Are you guys, is that the way that you guys lean? Most people that you are familiar with, is that the kind of view that you think they hold?
0: Yeah, definitely. I definitely know people like that for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I think, so one of the reasons why I bring this up is because we we talk a lot about problem of evil. We talk a lot well oh, we get asked these types of questions of like, you know, why wouldn't a loving God just eradicate evil? But it seems like we have a conflict here between that and then also this idea that most people are existential optimists. So they think that on the whole, the world is a good place to be in. Hmm. And you can actually see this, and there's, there's empirical evidence of this in the sense that people still have children, people bring new people into the world hmm. that are going to experience their own you know, amounts of suffering and degrees. And sometimes you don't even know. So I think that there's a conflict here and that's something that I think we should think about. On that note,
0: um, why do you think evil happens to good people?
2: Yeah. So this is actually a question that I've asked to a couple people that I've interviewed on my YouTube channel and on my podcast. And so there's, there's two people, one of them that stands out, his name is Jerry Walls. His response to this was that the question that's, the way that the question is put, and again, questions aren't arguments, so we, I want to like hit that home. We need to make sure that we're putting forward an argument. If we want to say that God doesn't exist, we can't just be asking questions. We want to put forward an argument. Hmm. But put that aside for a second. Dr. Jerry Walls, when I interviewed him about the problem of evil, actually, it was, a, it was sort of a, a broader interview of like five common objections that you hear atheists make against Christianity, one of them is the problem of evil. And so we covered that. I think that was the last one that we covered. His response was to say that, and I'm finding that this is a a pretty common move to make here, at least by professionals in the field, is that like, we can question this assumption. We often put it in terms of like, why do bad things happen to good people? Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, well, actually, if we just look closer at it, this assumption that's in this question is good people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and this is something that Jerry Walls points out is that the question is not really why do bad things happen to good people? It's why do bad things happen to fallen people in a fallen world? Mm. I interviewed another guy. His name is Dr. Clay Jones. He's the author of why God allows evil. And his response was essentially kind of the same thing that like, no one is actually good. And, And this is something else that he points out is that Doing a good act or like doing something that's good doesn't necessarily make you a good person. So like, racists can walk old ladies across the street. Doing a, a like a couple good actions or doing good actions in general doesn't necessarily make you a good person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that the real question here is why does God allow evil? And that's the the more broad yes. question I think that we need to be more interested in. And so and that's just a minor quibble. You know, there's still going to be things that is it's still going to be a relevant question. So we're not like doing away with it by making this clarification. Of course. But I, but I do think it is important to make and, and at least start to, to, to roll the idea around in your head, like question whether or not you are a good person.
0: Yeah. So and on, figure uh, out, yeah. So just to be yeah, clear, yeah. why does God allow evil? I don't know if I, if I got, um, maybe I wasn't following you originally. I just want to make sure that the listeners are clear. Um, why does God allow evil?
2: Yeah. So, um, so again, that was just like a a brief clarification about what we asked this question, usually in terms of like, why do bad things happen to good people? And so it kind of puts this contrast between bad things and good people. And so it kind of makes the problem more difficult. But I think once we clarify it and say, well, actually we can challenge this assumption of whether or not these people are actually good, that these things are happening to. And you can even look at someone like Gandhi, who, if you read Dr. Clay Jones' book, he talks about the fact that, that Gandhi. Was At night, he would sleep with his nieces and other women's wives so that he could test, basically, to, to make sure that he could sort of last throughout the night and not have sexual relations with these people. So it's, it doesn't matter who you're talking about, there are going to be elements that I think is going to reveal this sort of sinful nature. But that's just a brief clarification. So I think that in response to the question of—the the more general question of why does God allow evil— First of all, I think that we need to take this question as Christians. We need to take it very, very seriously. It really gets under my skin when I see apologists or other Christians, anybody, want to just like kind of brush this question or brush this issue aside, as if it's not a serious thing that we need to contend with or think about, not just from a, a practical standpoint but a theoretical standpoint. Hmm. When I became a father, I was I was warned by my brother-in-law to always sort of double-check my car to make sure that my kids weren't still in their seats. And uh, there's actually a lot of real-life accounts of parents and grandparents accidentally leaving innocent children in hot cars. And the reason why I'm telling this story is because this is just like one example of the kind of the suffering and the evil and the depth that exists in our world. And I think we need to take it seriously. I think that um, we, we can't— it, it doesn't it, it I guess this just goes back to the the, to the original point that I was making that there's this difference between a practical problem and the theoretical problem and so the first thing that you want to do if you're trying to to talk with someone about evil or something that they're going through you need to first find out if it's a practical issue that they're having or if it's a more theoretical if they want to think through logically how all of this works and is compatible with God's existence that's what we're about to do Um, But I just want to make the point that this is a very serious problem. I think that theists, I think that Christians need to take this very, very seriously. And so from here, let's go a little deeper into the theoretical problem. And the first thing that we could do is make a distinction between moral and natural evil. I think this is going to help us as we start to look at possible reasons that God might have for allowing suffering. So moral evil— Is evil that is perpetrated by other moral agents so someone a rape victim this is sort of thing that happens between two moral agents the perpetrator on the one hand had the free will and the moral capacity to perpetrate this kind of evil on someone else and so cases of rape cases of murder these are examples of moral evil Mm -hmm. but in addition to moral evil there's what philosophers call natural evil, and this is just something that happens by nature, tornadoes, hurricanes, mudslides. That was something I was thinking about earlier today. heard a terrible story of this this guy who was at home with his kids and his wife, and they were about to watch a movie, I think. And he's like, hey, let me just run to the store and get some ice cream. He goes to the store, gets ice cream, and he, when he comes back, his entire house is just completely gone. Like a mudslide came and his whole Jeez. family was just buried under you know tons and tons of mud and he he was never able to find them again. He, all of his memories of them, pictures and everything, pillows. There's the scent of his wife, the scent of his children. All of it was just gone in a matter of you know seconds. So
1: awful.
2: Yeah, and so so yeah, and it, it is awful, and it it's not that when we're when we're responding to the problem of evil. Sometimes the temptation is to say, well, well, there's actually no bad things that happen. And I think that that's a mistake. I think that we need to recognize this, these situations, these circumstances, these examples as actually bad. Right. But um, so getting back on track here. So this is we're making a distinction between moral and natural evil. So this is a case of natural evil, like a mudslide or hurricane. You know, there's tsunamis who have killed in the past uh, decade or so. There's There was this one overseas that killed 200,000 people. So anyway, so we can make a distinction here, and, and this is going to be important when we're coming up with an explanation for why God might allow this. And we'll see this—we'll uh, go ahead and get into it now. So a theodicy is another fancy term that philosophers use that just means that it's this is a reason why God allows suffering in the world. So one that gets thrown out a lot, it's a very common response to the problem of evil is free will. Mm. And this one basically says that the ability to choose between good and evil is a great good because it allows us to self-determine our character. It allows us to self-determine who we are as people. If everything that I did was literally determined to happen or caused by something outside of myself, then the way I turn out isn't actually up to me. And so what a lot of these philosophers say is that free will is sort of necessary to have this great good of self-determination. But free will also entails—and this is some tying back into something that we already talked about earlier—free will sort of necessitates—you can't cause someone to do something freely, essentially. And so if someone freely chooses to do evil, then— you have evil. That's that's one possible explanation for evil. And so this, this idea kind of hinges on how valuable freedom is. Hmm. That's that's one point to make. But another point is that going back to the distinction between moral and natural evil, free will, most philosophers don't think that free will is a very good explanation for natural evil.
0: Right.
2: Some people, there's a guy named Alvin Plantinga, he suggested that We can actually explain natural evil in terms of free will. And the way that he does this is he says, well, for all we know, it's at least possible that natural disasters and hurricanes and tornadoes could be the result of the free will of supernatural agents like demons. Hmm. And so we could still have a, a kind of free will theodicy in play here, but a lot of people find that unsatisfying or implausible. So we don't have to go that route. We can go a different route in explaining natural evil.
1: Okay.
2: And this one, the next one is called uh, the natural law theodicy. So I've got a total of three that I'm going to cover here. The next one, second one is the natural law theodicy. And this one says that in order for morally significant free will to exist, and that term morally significant free will just means the ability to choose between good and evil. Mm -hmm. In order to have that, the world must operate according to certain recognizable patterns that's what that's what this theodicy says the world must be predictable if we're going to be able to choose and have and be responsible for our actions and so suppose for example that the world were just completely unpredictable so think about a world where like choosing to give someone flowers or show affection in some way could result in you like your arms acting erratically to the point of like poking their eyes out Mm -hmm. right that'd be a time (laughs) 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 well so that'd be a pretty terrible place to live Right. right but the point here is that in order to have this kind of robust moral freedom we've got to be placed in a world in a context where we have natural laws at work to quote this uh another christian philosopher daniel howard snyder he says, the very laws of momentum that enable you to, re- to give and receive flowers will also cause a falling boulder to crush you if you happen to be under it. Or in the other case, we talked about the, the mudslide. Mm-hmm. The same laws of thermodynamics and fluid dynamics that allow me to talk via air causing my vocal cords to vibrate also cause hurricanes and tornadoes. Mm. And so a good deal of natural evil can actually be explained by the necessity of natural laws for morally significant freedom interesting so those are two theodicies that philosophers and christian thinkers have given over the centuries here's uh my favorite we haven't even got to my favorite one yet (laughs) (laughs) yeah my favorite theodicy is the soul building theodicy and this is um i'm not sure exactly actually it might have been Irenaeus, the old church father who sort of originally started to throw around this idea well the idea here is that The greatest goods are only possible in a world full of suffering. And so this raises the, uh, this immediately raises the interesting question of like, what are the greatest goods? Right. And so recently, and I can, I think I can give an example of one. So recently I was watching a video of a father that forgave his son's killer. His son was killed sort of delivering pizzas. And I don't know exactly what happened, but his son was stabbed and died. And so in court, the father, the father was—he got up on the stand. He was reading his victim impact statement, and he looked straight at the killer, the guy that literally murdered his son, and told him that he forgave him. Wow. He said, he said these words. He said, "I forgive you. I'm not angry at you at all." Wow. And the court actually, as I was watching this video, they were explaining that the court actually had to take a recess because everyone was so overwhelmed with emotion. Wow. And so when they started back up. The killer, like, he reached out his hand just to, to sort of shake the father's hand. And this is this is what what really got me, was, like, he reached out to take the, the father's hand. And I think they were, like, sort of behind the where the little tables are. I'm trying to set the scene here. They're behind where the tables are, sort of at the front of the courtroom. He reaches over to shake the father's hand. And the father grabs his hand and pulls him in for a hug. Wow. And, I mean... Just like thinking about the story and recounting it right now is sort of giving me chills. It's like this, and this is, this is what I'm doing here, is this is an example in my mind of one of the greatest goods that I can even imagine. Right. So, and this is an example of, of uh, radical forgiveness. But then notice that radical forgiveness like this is not possible without some kind of awful, awful suffering. Hmm. And so this the, radical forgiveness is one example, courage, sacrifice, perseverance, some of the greatest goods that we can even think of entail or necessitate a world that includes a lot of suffering. That's and so that's, that's the idea behind soul building.
0: So is that like, so, um, the, the, sorry, just to uh, simplify, is that like we don't know what true good is without true evil? Or we don't know what true evil is without true good.
2: Um, maybe I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that. Uh, well, it's like,
0: how do we know what's good if there's not the evil to contrast it? You know.
2: Um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's that. the The way that I like to think about it is, it starts off by looking at or asking the question like, "What is the greatest possible good?" Okay. What is the, what is like in the world, what is, what are some of the greatest goods? And a lot of people will think of like love. Mm, I mean, you can think about that. Yeah. Think about that for yourself. Like what, what are some of the greatest goods? And as I've like, as you start to look into at least what this particular theodicy, once you start to read the literature and there's a lot of examples that people give of, for instance, there was this guy, Jim Elliott, who was a missionary in Ecuador mm-hmm. and he was, a Know, basically sharing his faith with these with the the people over there. And he was actually martyred for his faith. but what happened was he was walking through the jungle one day and he was surrounded by a group of these warriors, and they started to to basically throw spears at them and they, and they killed him. And so he was out there, Trying to minister, trying to share the gospel with these people, and he was sort of martyred out there. But what's what's most amazing about the story is that he was armed. We learned that he was armed at the time of his his martyrdom. Yeah. And yet he didn't he didn't use his weapon. He didn't try to to use it to stop them from killing him. Right. And so when we like when I hear examples like that, and there's there's countless others. I mean, I could go on. But when we hear stories like that, I it, for me, it's like difficult to think of greater. Something that's greater than that. Now, Christian theologians, I'll, I will say this. Christian theologians have offered different goods that they say are, are either better or on par. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is—I don't know if we have time to go into this. Are you guys—are we kind of running out yeah. of time here? No. Okay. Okay, so it, it, this would actually classify as, as a yet another theodicy. It's called—well, there's two different— names that it goes under one of them is o felix culpa and the next one is a lot longer and more technical supra lapsarianism supra lapsarianism <laughs> yeah and so the gist of this one is that the greatest good is the incarnation and atonement basically what jesus did on the cross right. is the greatest good that you can get in any world mm-hmm. okay and that's what that's what this theodicy says and you can obviously see here and what's what, also note that with all of these with all of these theodicies that we've been going through, evil is sort of necessitated right. by these by these mm. theodicies. That's important. Once we once we start to to get technical and and look deeper at the theoretical problem, we want to find a, a sort of necessary connection mm. between this reason and the evil. So this one says that, and this is I guess a, a competing axiological assumption. Axiology is basically the study of value. And so goods, bads, these, these all have to do with value. What's most valuable in the world. Mm -hmm. And so what I see as most valuable from my limited perspective, I think that the greatest goods are these sorts of love manifesting virtues. At least when we exemplify these, when we watch cases or learn of cases of people, you know, give it sort of this radical forgiveness or or exemplifying courage and sacrifice. Like when I see that, that to me is like, I don't, there are no greater goods than Mm. those. But some people, like I said, will, will say that, no, it's the incarnation and the atonement. Some Christian theologians will say this. And that is not really going to hurt anything. It's not going to hurt the response that the Christian is giving because that's still, is, it's very favorable towards Christianity if that is the greatest good. But uh, yeah, I guess the point there is that when we're looking at the soul building theodicy, what we start with is we want to ask the question, what is the greatest good? And what are some of the examples of the greatest goods that we know of? Okay. And then do those greater goods sort of, not not necessarily entail, but is it do we need a world that includes evil and suffering in order, in order to
0: get those things?
2: Yeah, sort, sort of. And it gotcha. is, so a world—well, actually, I'm, I, don't, I don't want to mix it up here because this is important to be careful with our words when we're doing philosophy. I think that the way that philosophers would say it is that we want—if God wanted a world that had these sorts of great making features like— the exemplification of these, these virtues like forgiveness and courage and sacrifice. Only in a world that included evil, included suffering, included free will, and we could even include the the natural laws and, and everything else. Only in that type of world will we be given the opportunity, or will the opportunity be given to individuals to exemplify these goods and build their character in these these various ways. Mm. If
0: wow. if I may, and I appreciate all your answers, but I know a lot of uh, atheists and a lot of people that just aren't there yet. They just, they're not in faith in God at all. Is there a way, if at all, to keep this answer very simple and impactful? When an atheist asks me, why would a God allow suffering or why does God allow suffering? Is there a simple answer? I mean, I know maybe there's not, but is there?
2: Well, actually, this is kind of a good segue into the last response I was going to give, which is kind of getting away from this whole soul build, or not the soul-building, but the theodicy-type response. And again, just to remind your listeners, theodicy is a reason that God would have for allowing or permitting suffering. So there's there's two broad responses to the problem of evil— one of them is—we're talking about the theoretical problem. There's two broad responses to the theoretical problem. One of them is to look at theodicies and look at the various explanations that Christians and theists have given to explain the sort of things that we see in this world. That's that's one path. The next path that's actually really popular in philosophy right now is something called—and this is a technical term—it's called skeptical theism. And if I was going—if I was in a, like a, a quick situation— with an atheist who would who would raise a question like that, how could God allow this? So first of all, I would want to go back to that the, fir- the very first thing that I said, which was questions are not arguments. If you're trying to give me an argument against God's existence, you've got to do better than a question. You've got to put it in some kind of form or an argument that I can understand and that we can both look at and question the assumptions that are, that are in there. And And this is actually going to help draw that out. The skeptical theist response to the problem of evil, which is to say that, Okay, well, well, let's actually look at this the way that your atheist friend has framed the problem of evil. He says, how could an all-loving God allow this or permit this? And so I, I, maybe what he's doing is, is rhetorical. He's trying to show you that you don't have a good reason or you don't have a good answer to his mm-hmm. question, right? And so what you can do with this, and this is basically exactly what the skeptical theist wants to do, is to say, well, hey, just because I can't see a reason— that God would allow this this case of suffering just because I personally can't see a reason, that doesn't say anything about whether God has a reason. Right. Mm-hmm. Does that... I'm limited in perspective, and I, you know I I only know so much. You know maybe God knows something I don't, and that's not super implausible because He's God, and He's omniscient, and I'm not. So if you wanted to give like a real quick response. That's one way to go about it is like, well, where do you? what are you trying to get at here? Are you trying to like make a rhetorical point about the fact that it's difficult to see what reason God might have for allowing or permitting this? And then is the question of like, are we going from that fact directly to God's non-existence? If that's the case, then that just seems to me like a really bad inference. That's a really yeah. bad leap in reasoning. Right. And so that's that's maybe one quick way— that you could respond to that just because you can't see a reason doesn't mean there isn't a reason. Yeah. So it seems like the
1: simple answer is that there's no simple answer.
2: Yeah. It, I mean the problem of evil like I said I mean it's it's something that I think everyone needs to take seriously and we don't I, I don't I, I'm hesitant to say like let's look for an easy answer. Right. Because I think it's a very serious problem yeah. and I think it's something that we all need to wrestle with. Intellectually, and we also need to care about the practical side of things too. We don't need to get so wrapped up in the logic and the the arguments and and the theoretical side of things that we forget that there's a whole practical side of this. There's people, the real people, dealing with real problems and emotions, and we can't forget about that. We need to be sensitive Ooh. to that. Right. But so, yeah, I I want to say that we need to take this more seriously.
0: If uh, if our listeners are wondering how they can go online. And read some more information about the answers you have given. Where can they go?
2: So you can go to capturingchristianity.com. That's my website. We run a blog there, but we also have a YouTube channel that's currently, I think in the last day or so, we, we recently passed 11,000 subscribers. What we do there is we host interviews between, well, I, I interview professionals in the field. A lot of, actually, one of my buddies, one of my apologetics buddies, was messaging me today, kind of, uh, messing with me saying that I interview people that no one's ever heard about. But <laughs> what i the reason why I do that is because there's so many brilliant Christians that are working in, in all these fields and philosophy of religion and the problem of evil and God's existence and all these arguments for God and, and everything. But a lot of like the popular in the popular level, like we don't know that these people exist, that right. they're writing all of these papers and submitting them to journals for peer review, yeah, right. and they're testing their ideas and and want to 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 test their ideas against atheists and and want to, you know expose their theories and 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 tease them out and and make sure that they're actually reasoning properly. And so what I want to do with my ministry is sort of expose the fact that there are brilliant brilliant, brilliant Christians working currently on these questions, on these problems. So that's why we do these interviews. Hmm. So we have a podcast, too. Uh, we didn't get to it, and, and maybe we will, but I've uh, I've interviewed a guy. Oh, I already mentioned him earlier, Jerry Walls, Dr. Jerry Walls. He's a professor out at HBU, Houston Baptist University. Hmm. He's, uh, he's done extensive work on the problem of hell, and he's also an evangelical Protestant Christian who believes in purgatory, which is really interesting. Wow. <laughs> But he's, uh, he's one of my favorite people writing on the subject of, of hell and how it can all sort of work with the, with the God of love. And, yeah, so that's, that's what we do. If you want to find out more, go to our website, go to our YouTube channel. We also have a podcast. I interviewed Derek, Jerry Walls on, on our podcast what's first. The, what's the it's just capturing Christianity. Okay.
1: I was actually listening to that episode this morning. <laughs> oh, to, nice. Yeah, yeah
2: I, I actually was too. Yeah, just to, to, <laughs> to refresh myself.
0: As long as you listen to Bible Dingus first, you can go ahead and check out his
2: podcast. <laughs> <laughs> then, yeah.
1: Thanks so much for being on yeah, the show, thank man. You so we really much. do appreciate it. Uh, yeah, yeah
2: no worries. I hope it wasn't too much. I hope it wasn't like too much information all no, at once. No, no, no. The more yeah. the
0: better, honestly. It was perfect. It was perfect. And we really hope to speak with you again, honestly. Cool. All
2: right. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. All, right. All see right, you
0: guys later. But it's heat I can tell we heat I want to spend my life myself when